two yards should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. Yo, yo, what up, golf fans? Um, it's Pebble Beach Pro-Am week. We finally, a, a bittersweet end to course rotation season. Bitter, bitter end. Um, but we're here to provide a comprehensive preview of this event at Pebble Beach. Uh, I'm going to bring a good friend along to to help me along with this show in just a few minutes. My name is Joe Idoni. Welcome in to Preferred Lines. Uh, if you're a supporter of the show, as always, would appreciate a like, a retweet, a share. Most importantly, if you want to hop over to the Preferred Lines YouTube page, if you could subscribe there, feel free to get in the chat, drop a few questions. Happy to answer those tonight um and and keep it moving but thank you again for your support as always now uh i'm gonna get right into it without further ado i want to bring in our guest for this evening um he's up for a nomination for an incredible award of, of from the fantasy sports writers association for golf writer of the year he puts in incredible work week in and week out we were just talking about the grind that he's on and i have a deep appreciation for it Welcome back to Preferred Lines, Byron at the Model Maniac. Let's go, baby. Joe, I don't need my good friend. How the heck are you? Thank you for having me back on again. You just, I mean, if that intro wasn't a hype enough, the actual intro to the podcast has got even better since I think I last was on here. And looking forward to hashing it out with you once more. So thank you so much for that little appreciation about FSWA. I can't believe it myself. We'll, we'll see where the world takes us, huh? It is well-deserved, man. We were just talking about it. So we had a little bit of a breather before we got into our normal Monday content week. We had a Saturday finish, um, an electric finish with a ton of big names at Torrey Pines. Max Homa, obviously the story in pulling it out for a sixth career PGA Tour victory. Where do you rank Max Homa right now in great golfers on the planet? Like, I feel like he's he's ascending the charge rapidly and so hot and so confident. Um, I've got him really high up on my board. Where's he about at on your barometer? He's part of the crew that welcomes guys to the party now. He's not the one that's arriving. He is the guy that is part of that circle of elites now, I think. Um Let's not call him an absolute star-studded elite talent until he does something significant in some majors repeatedly. But you can only do that four times a year. So he's he's waiting on those opportunities, I'm pretty sure, with eager anticipation. And I can't wait for him to do that this year. Absolutely. So I was noticing, like, and I talked about this a little bit because I drafted him in the, uh, in the Pat Mayo season-long draft thing or whatever. And I talked about it then, and I'm like, I kind of asked everyone, I'm like, What's Max's weakness? And I heard Colt Nost mention it, and I'm looking at those other huge superstars on the leaderboard yesterday. You can go down the list, and you just look at the name, and immediately you almost know that player's weakness, right? Whether it's Colin Morikawa or Tony Finau, and even John Rahm, to a degree, as good as he is, we know what his weakness is. What doesn't Max Homa do really well right now? Playing 16 majors a year. Yeah, I know. Right? It's coming, I think. Yeah, that's a it's a tough sell for a lot of people, and he's he's built such a well-rounded game, Joe. Like you just mentioned, there's 
it's it used to be the putter it used to be the short game it used to be inconsistency it used to be what it used to used to be yeah. now it's all just what is and uh, i mean to just walk down a fairway talking to trevor immelman and the boys just nonchalantly yes he made a, a par there but it was a tough lie blah 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 you know but just he's he's embracing the moment i think his biggest issue used to be he didn't feel like he belonged now he, he like you said it's like he's part of that circle that's just welcoming newcomers to the elite ring yeah and even in that moment when um you know he was willing to do that and share that moment with us and the audience and the broadcast which i thought was incredible um caught an absolutely horrible break with an embedded ball and just dropped it into nothing but weeds you could barely see the ball um calmly got that up and down he was in the bunker on one of the later holes where basically no one was getting it up and down. Calmly got that up and down. The the birdie that he had on um, the par three to end with the four iron was unbelievable. Like the amount of guts, guts, Byron, that it took to hit that shot to that pin and then to cap it off and roll the putt after Morikawa rolls in one right behind him. He drove it great. His approach play was great. He got up and down with anybody. He putted extremely well. The confidence is there. The attitude is there. And I know you talk a little bit about this, like myself, in kind of the, the mental approach to golf and in life. Um, and Max seems to have it all figured out right now. Um, and I just can't wait to see him hopefully be able to put that all together in, in a major championship. Max is going to look so good in green, bro. I'm telling you now. Yeah, uh, one in the back, one in the backyard this year at LACC too. Yeah, I mean, he's if there's a year for him to have a breakout major year, it's this year. Absolutely. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about before we get into the odds boards, just stats, man, because I want to know where you're at, and I want to know, and I've had this conversation with a couple people recently. Um, and do you attack? different areas in terms of analytics do you view different stats more importantly than others when it comes to um, trying to assess success and pick players out for dfs versus pick players out to win an outright bet or are you pretty much lumping everyone into the same category if you're good here you're going to be good in, in dfs and vice versa okay you can initially i used to take that approach i wanted to bet dfs i wanted to do placements and matchups and i wanted to do outrights all using my same beautiful model that i was very proud of yeah but often times you great. have to just take a step back and realize that hey you know some things need to change sometimes and you got to make adjustments and i definitely believe that there's different metrics like birdie percentages and upside yeah for DFS is so critical. I think you can't like Russell Knox to me is, is a kind of a player that I just never want to have. So I've recently incorporated finishing position into my model and just for DFS, not necessarily for betting placements and things. And then from a placement versus outright perspective, I want consistency when I'm betting top twenties, top forties versus matchups. And when it comes to outrights, I'm willing to kind of take a bit more of a, a general maniac feel. I kind of often say, I'm going maniac for outrights and model for placements and, and matchups. So yeah. you want to try and hit when the iron's hot. And that's typically what you're trying to look for when you're betting an outright is someone that's rolling with like two or three worth uh, rounds of momentum or events worth of momentum. Yeah, totally. It makes a ton of sense. I've been looking more so um, in terms of, of matchups or top 40s or DFS for a broad perspective. If you're just trying to get lineups through. 
um, a heavier emphasis on ball striking and approach prey, right? The, the two go-tos. Um, but when it comes to outright, I've been trying to really pay attention to um, how does is this player able to get up and down? How is this player's short game? Because uh, more times than not, it almost always comes down, and it came down to it with Max. It came down to it with Colin in Hawaii. Um, it came down to it with Siwoo at the Amex. It always comes down to pressure situations on the final 18 holes where you have to be above your competitors in terms of up and down play. You're going to miss greens. Everyone is, but your ability to still make pars versus bogey ends up determining more often than not, I feel like, the winner in the tournament. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. And and it's a, a really something I looked into the other day was whittlers and winners, where you just take a look at where has this person, what has he done after the first three rounds gaining a typical win on the PGA Tour gains about like 12 to 16 strokes um, to win an event, right? Total over four rounds. So after three rounds, after gaining nine total strokes, what are these people doing? You know, because they're going to be in these positions regularly. Who's losing strokes in round four after gaining nine plus? Who's gaining? Who's continuing that momentum? And it's some sort of analytics that I think not a lot of people look into. And it can definitely be something that we can kind of embrace going forward and figuring out putting a statistical number to a guy's clutchness, yeah, so to speak. You got a little Yorkie in the room there, or what you got there? Dude, I got two dogs running around. Yeah, they we we got them like a bark box full of different toys and <laughs> Uh, the missus is sick, so it's just it's chaos. So sorry. Um, I'll battle it a little weather now. No, I got a Yorkie. It sounded like my Yorkie's bark. That's why I asked you. So here's another question. So I'm sitting with uh, my buddy Tom, who's hopefully checking out the show. He was at my. Uh, he came over this weekend. He was at the fantasy draft. Uh, we played a little golf, and we're we're looking. We, we're we're watching uh, the Friday round. So the second to last round in the beginning, and we've got data golf up, and we're looking at. And and here's where I here's why I love to talk to you, Byron, because you're a numbers guy. Like you make the models, you make the spreadsheets, all that. Versus I'm kind of take a little bit of an opposite approach. For me, it's more like eyeball test, um, which I know is is so subjective, and you can't quantify. It. That's why a lot of people hate it. So we're we're good friends, but we we think I think a little bit differently in these areas. Here's where I'm going with this. They had the the per, basically the win percentages, and data golf is all numbers. It's no one's inputting their opinion in there whatsoever. It's all numbers. And Sam Ryder was like 38 percent to win the tournament. Right? Um, they were giving him a win probability. I don't think he had a 10% chance of winning that tournament on Friday. And even Sunday on the back nine, I think there was very little percentage chance that he was going to pull that out with those names at the top, with Finau, with Homa, with Rom, with Morikawa. Like we knew what was, and this is nothing against Sam Ryder. I think he played fantastically. I think he handled the pressure great, but we all knew what was coming, right? And it happened. And just, you can play that tournament out 10 times, and in my opinion, there's no way that he was going to win that tournament three or four of those 10 times. Am I wrong there or are you seeing something different? No, I think it's it's a fascinating concept to think of how to close a tournament. What does it take to be a winner? You're right. Like, do you have uh, is is your main strength putting, you know, because he was just rolling in those that 10 foot range just all yeah, week for par. Then, yes. On a Sunday afternoon, man. That's when um, a micromillimeter makes the biggest of differences. And when you get a little nervous, a little tense, who knows, you know? So um, he's also playing something I've, speaking of eye tests, playing with a person like John Rahm, 
I think is a very intriguing concept to look into because he typically brings out the worst in people. Yeah, he's intimidating. Yes, he's very intimidating. He's in his own bubble. He's single-mindedly focused on winning the event for himself and be damned to Max, uh, Sam Ryder and whoever he's playing with. Whereas Colin and and Max were playing together in a very vibey, oh, bro, bro kind of concept. Both of them just charged up the leaderboards and and just a wonderful environment where Tony, once again, all three of Tony's terrible rounds were with John Rahm. It's a good point. It's a good point. It has to be tough. Like there's, you're you're a hundred percent right. There are certain players um, that I think make it more difficult, especially that are just intimidating. Especially for a player like Sam Ryder, he probably would have been better off. You notice when he was playing with Brendan Steele, he was on fire, right? And then you get paired with John Rahm and Tony. Things things change a little bit. So, uh, but it was what we all expected. Let's kind of turn our attention to Pebble, and before we get into the odds boards. Um, a couple of quick questions for you, and you can just say no if you want. But do you see anything different in proams? Like, do you see that as being we we talk about the mental approach and these guys having to, you know, quote unquote, entertain people and laser focus? Well, you've got two amateurs with you, and some of them are friends. Like Spieth, Spieth is with Jake Owen, and they're buddies, and they're chumming it up, and that's probably okay for a guy like Spieth. But have you noticed any trends from a model perspective that say, okay, in a pro-am tournament with these long-ass rounds on these different courses with two amateurs hacking it away with you, are certain players elevate their game or do certain players, more importantly, um, show less performance in that type of environment? I haven't necessarily run the numbers on any of that stuff, so I can't give you a a numbers-based answer. But I think from a a eye test perspective, Patrick Cantley, Spieth, you know, those kind of guys – they do it. They they handle it well. Then there's others that don't. So we all know, you know, those names float around the industry quite quite regularly during these kinds of weeks. And I think, you know, there's definite merit to that argument for sure. Let's get to the board. We'll see some guys. <laughs> Top of your odds board this week. Jordan Spieth, 11 to 1. Best price over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Matthew Fitzpatrick, the exact same number, 11 to 1. Victor Hovland, right behind him at 12 to 1. Then we get up into the 20s. McNeely, Power, Hoagie. I'll even throw Putnam in there at 28 to 1. Those are all your guys this week under 30 to 1. The field strength, you can say what you want. Pebble, what has happened to Pebble Beach? Like this used to be an iconic stop on the PGA Tour. Um, and all of a sudden it's, it's relegated to, uh, Maverick McNeely fourth on your odds boards, but it is what it is. Byron, do you see anything of value in these top players? So I'll, I'll mention a guy that I probably would have maybe leaned on a little more had, uh, an 11 to one showing up next to his name earlier this morning before we frantically went and, and made all our bets before we thought odds were going to shorten, um, is Jordan Spieth. I think he's got a fantastic chance of winning this week. I do not have him on my card, unfortunately. So that's the that's the pickle I find myself in here. But I mean, speaking of a model versus maniac thing, the model absolutely hates Jordan Spieth every week, but somehow he always just finds a way. You know, why does the model hate Jordan Spieth? He's I think he's too inconsistent. And okay. I think a lot of his success comes from a short game where I'm sitting at 46% um total approach in my model. And when he's Hitting it into canyons and and scrambling for pars, still making a par, but with a different golf ball type vibe. The model doesn't like that that much. So we gotta 
Got to put that into perspective. So I throw a little official wall golf ranking in there, and that typically pushes him up a little bit, polishes up his score a bit. But just from a course history perspective, Jordan Spieth this this week is just, I mean, he's looking like A1. Yeah, it's been a course history spot uh, for sure. What's up, Chad? What's going on? Chad. Fantasy Golf Pod. Got to mention, uh, sponsor and proud supporter of the show. Check out my boys on Wednesday night. Fran's in here. Fire Sports is in here. Trying to bring up your comments. So Spieth. Interesting one. I bet him as my top guy at the Sony first round leader crushed it at the Sony was looking fantastic. <laughs> Missed the cut. You mentioned volatility with speed. That's why the model doesn't like him. He's going to show up as a miscut cut at the Sony when he had a fantastic day when he was the best player in that entire field for 18 holes. But over 36 holes, there were 55 guys better than him. That's Jordan speed. Can he put it together for four rounds? Um, you mentioned the course history here. Ninth, third, second is last three appearances, three consecutive years. It's been phenomenal. Last year, I can't get the image out of my head when he almost died over that cliff. Um, but he's had his thing going here. Um, I'm not going to bet him. Matt Fitzpatrick, I'm a little bit worried about some of the, the recent approach numbers of Matt Fitzpatrick, so I don't love that. Victor is interesting to me. Um, you know, we're going to hear the narratives about, of course, the the am. But I actually think this is a good spot for Victor. Um, I love the fact that it's going to um, emphasize what I think is his his short wedge play. So what I do love that uh, Data Golf offers is the approach shot distribution. So those shots basically from 150 mm -hmm. yards and in this week is going to make up about 47 percent of your shots. Almost half your shots are coming from wedge or less range this week, which is well above about twice the tour average in terms of that range. Um, Victor, let me see, because, you know, I just had it up here. Where does he rank at the top guys? So he is 47th in 100 to 125, 47th in 125 to 150. Um it's better than both of those other two guys at the top of the board. One concerning element that I have from a buddy who knows Victor is he's saying that he didn't just insight here. You're only going to get on preferred lines. Um, he mentioned that he didn't play the farmers because he wasn't loving uh, some of the numbers he was getting in the spin rates on his ball. And he was really trying to get that figured out before. So I think that was part of the reason of the schedule change. I don't know that he's entirely comfortable I don't know that that matters. That just could be a golfer talking his way out of a field and into another one in a place that should be a great spot for him. Uh, mentioning Maverick McNeely, no freaking way, Byron. If he wins it, I you clip this. You can roast me forever. I'm never going to bet him. I've been on this record that I will not bet him because I always feel like he'd get the worst price ever on Maverick McNeely because the guy doesn't win. He's probably a model guy. That said, 149th and 100 to 125 yards, 72nd and 125 to 150. He's the worst player in his the approach numbers with a pitching wedge in his hand. I, I just can't say that he lives on the course. He's going to play great. He's always proven me wrong, but he hasn't won. And we're talking outright, so I'm not going to bet Matt McNeely. Are you there with me? He's a whittler. He's a whittler. If you go and take a look at, at what happens after those nine plus strokes to three rounds. Mm-hmm. Guy hits that eject button harder than most people do, and it's it's significant. So, you know, DFS go to him. But if you're looking at an outright, I, I just don't think 
I mean, I think he has to get a few more miles in the air. I think he's got his pilot's license now, so maybe he should fly a, a little closer to the cliffs and things, kind of get that that risk tolerance up, try and get that big match temperament vibe rolling. But I just don't think he's got that clutch gene in him. Um, you know, that's that's something you can't do and and yeah. practice. You know, it has to be in a in a in that your mom and dad gave you kind of thing, right? Yeah. So. Um, I, I'd be remiss to not mention our defending champion at 22 to one. He's the one that I have the most interest in here. I have not bet it yet, but I'm just probably waiting to see that 22 number, which for me in my books, usually they get a little bit better on Tuesday. So I'm hoping for it. The best approach player of all these guys by a long shot recently in the last 36 rounds, um, better than Spieth, Hovland, Fitzpatrick, Power, McNeely, Putnam by a while. Um, almost the best putter in this range. He's the best guy T to green, he's crushing it. He's your defending champion. He had a 12th the year before. He also at the Amex, if you're looking for some correlation, now I know the courses are totally different, but they're they're short courses. They're a three-course rotation, and it's a pro-am. So you like when I was talking about that trend earlier, he fought his way. He should have missed that cut. And he made he he went on his back nine like six under, made the cut, ending up finishing 32nd. There is nothing to write home about, but it's better than a missed cut, which he could have easily done in a pro-am and just got the hell out of there. Um, I kind of like Tom Hoagie. If I do see a 22 pop up on any of my screens, I will bet it. Yes. If you will, so what I do is I take all those proximity numbers you were mentioning earlier, and I prorate them. So I take 20% mm. worth of my my stats, and 100 to 125 is about 5 or 6% this week. So that's the biggest portion of those stats. And if you take out a prorated thing for weighted approach, Tom Hoagie's number one, Victor yep. Harlan number two. So, And that's over are. a very long period of time. It's not just the last 24 rounds. So love Tom Hoagie, but... I mean, on Seamus Powers this week, it's a it's a maniac play. The model's not necessarily in love with him because he's one of those guys. Flits and flats. He comes and goes. He, he'll he lose on approach four straight rounds and still yeah. make the cut losing on approach. But when he's on fire, he's on fire, bro. And he, he was minus 16 through two rounds last year and then got to the top of the leaderboard, got lonely, eject button. So, But he, we know he doesn't do that that much because he's won a few yes. events now. Yeah, he can win. Um, I'm looking here, 25th the Tournament of Champions. Um, two top fives in the fall, both at short courses at the RSM and Mayakoba. I don't mind. I don't. I don't mind that bet at all. Yes. Um, let's keep it moving down the board a little bit. Uh, we talked about Putnam, so here we go in the 30s. Rose 35 to one. Mitchell 35. Kucher here. My boy Denny's here at 40. Joel Damon is 40 to one. Smalley, Pendrith, Dietrich. Griffin at 60. Uh, what are your thoughts in there? Uh, it's Putnam for me, which is fine. We'll we'll scoot by him. I've got a I've got a ticket on him this week too, but I've also got a Joel Damon ticket. I'm kind of just peppering outside of that 20, 20 to 1 range. Joel, I mean, if you look at what he's been up to lately, holy cow, you know, prior to popping yeah. that baby out with the missus there, he was he was cooking with gas like three consecutive. Is that why he withdrew? I think he just had a baby recently, and and um, that's not why he withdrew last week late. I, okay, I, I have no idea why these these guys do what they do. Yeah. It, it is something I think the golf world can definitely do better at is kind of give us a bit more uh, disclosure on what's going on behind the scenes there. To a degree, I don't want to know exactly what's going on, but you know, if it was injury related or just um, just ran out of diapers or something. But yeah, I think he's. He's also, I mean, talk about a perfect course fit. The guy's not the lengthiest off the tee. I think he's been dieting nicely, getting in shape. And 
man, he was putting out some good performances there. And I think 40 is a nice number on him. I expected that to go down towards that like 30 to 1 and 33 that you're seeing there in the other two columns. But it's kind of hanging out there. So I think if if you're interested in kind of getting a mid-range guy, Joel's your dude. You know, there's a bit of bit of risk associated with that layoff, but I'm okay with it at 40. Yeah, it was Amex that I was thinking of that he withdrew because I had made him one of my lunchtime long shots that week. And part of the reason, Byron, was um, I like this thing that my boy Rick Run Good has over on his site, which is the trending tabs, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's basically showing you a a heat index, he kind of has called it, which is um, you can search essentially what I usually do is 16 rounds, right? So that basically if a guy's making the cut is going to show you how he's doing in his last four tournaments versus his 100 round baseline so who's playing much better than their baseline uh joel damon was the number one guy that week two weeks ago at the amex i don't have it up so i'm not sure where he sits right now but i know he's been on a hot run but you can kind of as a stats guy here's an interesting question because people sort of clap back at me and said the guy's playing well above his baseline why would you want to take him now and it sort of made me pause to think I'm still on the side of I'd rather see him playing above his baseline and expect another good performance than to try and reach and dive down the stock market and buy low on a player um, who's playing well below their baseline who may get a little bit of a bump on a number. Where do you kind of where do you stand on that take? It's a it's a two sided coin here because you don't mm-hmm. want to be betting on a guy that's been gaining with. the. I mean, this is a pretty well-known concept across the industry but if joel's been putting lights out to get on that heat map no go he's ball striking though is the reason he's there and ball striking sticks around so there's you can definitely see especially after these like breaks where these guys have had some time off they come back all of a sudden joel's irons on sizzle let's go you know why why the heck not one of my favorite things to do is just recently after a break check those that heat map type vibe index and and see who's made some swing adjustments in the offseason because these guys are grinding week in, week out. They don't have a lot of time to work on their swing and, and fix what they know is wrong because they're just still trying to compete. When they get a gap to 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 work on that, they can come back out of a break like this and Joel's showing us. He's, he's fourth in ball striking over the last little while and the guy's just, that's going to stick around, right? He's, he's so accurate off the tee and the irons are now f- firing. So, yes. Yeah. Here's an interesting one that I bet. Um, and I feel like I'm taking a bad price here. And this is probably um, a testament to that point you were just making on taking a player at his highest price ever in terms of an odds board, his highest price ever probably in DraftKings. But if you look at the, but the guys above $8,000 in DraftKings this week, um, he's second in approach over his last 36 rounds. He just continues to post and it's Ben Griffin. Um, is this like, are you seeing a magical performance one after the other, or are the stats indicating what my eyeballs are showing me? And this dude is for real. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a Ben Griffin outright for the Amex and I just couldn't quite get there this week. I had these other guys I was a little more in, in favor for, but I definitely love that ball striking from a, from a placement perspective, right? I think he's mm-hmm. a, he's a guy you really want to target for that top 20, top 40, especially if you're sitting at 60 to one. I think you can get a really nice number on you can probably get an even money top 40 bet once that comes out. So that's the kind of way I like to attack these kind of guys because he gives me a lot of FOMO. I mean, he's he's also got that potential to really go up there. And to get back to betting a guy at 60 to 1 or a bad number, the reason you're getting a bad number is because he's the books are recognizing what he's yeah. doing, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm okay going with it because that's 
you, you got to take your chances. And if you if you're big on a guy and, and the numbers are a little short, but you like him and that's the way he's going, go for it. I'm all for it. Yeah, and I'm kind of taking into account field strength. You do mention uh, the top 40 market, which I think is a great place to sort of play a player like Ben Griffin. In these, I'm not sure what it's going to be this week, but in the past weeks, it's basically been about even money to top 40 recently, plus 110 many weeks. I've had it a lot of them. Um, five consecutive top 40 finishes for him. So the consistency is there. Is he ready to win a PGA Tour event? Is he ready to go out and win Pebble Beach? I don't know. Um, you've got to pay the 60 to one price, which I know is a lot of a guy who probably should be a hundred to one. Uh, but, but it's just one of those sort of gut feel plays where I feel like things are trending. Confidence is there. Uh, and I'm just going to try to ride the hot hand. Amen. Let's go. I, th- I think he, he got a taste of, you know, the top of the board there in Bermuda, very similar course. I don't see a problem this week. Okay. Moving down to sort of long shot season here. Um, Scott Stallings, Dean Burmeister at 65 to one Lipsky, 70 Taylor Moore, Nick Taylor, 70 <laughs> to one. Both of those guys, Molinax, Gordon, Todd Riley at 80 to one starts there. Kitayama Knox, who you talked about earlier, who I want to talk to you about SH Kim, Bo Hostler. I'm just throwing out a bunch of guys for the people listening to the audio version up here in these, this sort of high, uh, double digit numbers. It this tournament has shown the ability to do that. Three of the last six years, I believe, um, there has been a winner at 160 to one. There has been a winner at 300 to one. There has been a winner at 500 to one at this event. Um, what? So long shot season is a little bit different now. So what I feel like that's happened with Live Golf, um, interestingly, is. They took a lot of the superstars out, right? So a lot of the guys that were eating up a high percentage of your win probability and a high percentage of this 20 to 30 to 1 range are now gone. So there's a group of players that have now been elevated from like the B group of PGA Tour players, B minus group, to now like the A minus group. Guys like you know, Seamus Power and Maverick McNeely, all of a sudden their chances of winning a PGA Tour event are far greater. I do feel like that the bookmakers have kind of understood this and reflected it in some of these guys in this odd range where in two years ago, um, we could expect a Kurt Kitayama at 101. We could expect a, a Russell Knox at 125 to one. We're not really getting that anymore, which has made me a little bit sour in terms of the sort of long shot range. But all, all that said, this tournament has shown that uh, propensity for them to hit. Joe, you make such a fantastic point there. And it's quite funny because this very week I've, I've done some reflecting and I've changed my entire betting process for outrights. I typically try and do 10 times return. I'm going to seven times return now because yeah, that's it what I'm usually at. a budget to go for one or two or one, one extra guy up in that 30 to one range or 20 to one range, which I typically couldn't afford if I'm trying to do you know, a very measly budget, which we've seen these guys are hitting at a much greater clip. So you want to get your hands on these guys a lot more. You can't be fiddling around in this bottom range. You can use these guys to round out your card, but I don't think you want to have them as the core of your card because at most events, this event, jabronis, three rounds, three courses, wind, whatever. Why not take a crack? But um, I've got a Matthew Neesmith ticket, so I'm, I'm in on him. Um, uh, I like his chances. I like Nick Hardy's chances. Speaking of one of the best iron players in the field, freaking Nick Hardy's out here just yes. doing 
wonderful things. And if you can take just the putting and short game out of the equation, Nick Hardy is the guy that's going to give himself a lot of birdie looks this week. So if he can just get that figured out, maybe he gets a fun playing partner that he's a big fan of and, and gets it figured out this week. Okay. I got to ask you about Russell Knox. I I wanted to bet Russell Knox and here's why though. So this goes back to a season long fantasy golf, which we said we were going to talk about, right? I got to pick somebody up. I've only got four players in the field this week. Russell Knox is there on the waiver wire. And I believe he's the top ranked player in terms of points gained this season, but that's because he's played a lot. Um, I kind of want to get Russell Knox. And then it made me be like, oh, let me look at his betting number. Oh, he's fantastic with a pitching wedge this year. He's un- he's one of the top three players in this field from 150 yards or less. Then, Byron, I'm like, I'm remembering back and I'm like, oh, you know what? Russell Knox crushes Florida. The Honda's coming up. Um, he, he loves it down here. He lives in Jacksonville. I feel like he's a top pickup choice, but... But here's the big but for you. But I've probably got to drop Christian Bezadenhu to do it. Ooh. I know uh, that hurts. I think that flag over my left shoulder just shriveled up a little bit with you saying that. Um, that, that hurts. But why don't you like him this week, though? Do you just feel like he's he's a guy that's going to pop in your models but is never going to like finish in the top 20? So he's 12th in my model, $7,500 on DraftKings. But I'm looking at his top 10 rate. 4% of his starts, he finishes inside the top 10. Wow. In, 20, in 27 starts, yeah. 4, 4% of the time. Now he's making the cut 70% of the time, which is exactly what you want in a fantasy aspect because I think you're looking for floor players that are going to make the cut, get you those points. In an outright market, I don't, dude, I don't, I don't see Russell Knox doing anything ever, man, <laughs> unfortunately. All right, what's your predicament in your season-long fantasy? I think um, everyone's I, in a big predicament this week. And yeah. this is what I think is is so cool about this concept is um, in fantasy football, for instance, I love season-long fantasy. I don't like DraftKings fantasy football. I love season-long my leagues. And to be able to like position for the waiver wire on that one week when you know you've got two running backs on a buy and to hold on to that, it's not quite the same in fantasy golf. You have to field six guys. So I already made one move, which Taylor Moore was out there. If Andy's watching this, he dropped Taylor Moore, and I think he wants to get him back this week. Sorry, Andy. I have the top waiver spot. He's mine. I'm dropping Chris Goddard up. Um, but I need another guy, and that's why I thought Russell Knox, because I feel like I could get a couple of starts out of him in Florida if I need it, because Finau and Xander don't play in Florida. All in all, um, I, I love the format of it. What are your like options this week on the table? Um, I have Russell Knox in my lineup, so I Do took you? him in in okay. fantasy because he's that cut maker that I was looking for, and I took him late in the you know like ninth round of a yeah. ten team league. My problem is I've got all these very high floor guys that I that I don't want to drop. I'm too scared to get rid of a guy, and I don't know if I want to. Get rid of a guy just to start one dude this week, where this week is very important because we've got three guaranteed rounds that you're going to be scoring points. So if you can roster six guys this week, you're getting that extra free round, essentially, which is critical in fantasy. So I think I'm going to have to drop someone and that's I'm going to I'm going to have to take a shot or two of bourbon after this to kind of make that that really difficult decision. It may have to be Bezadeno, too, because he's also one of those guys. Top 10 rate. Terrible. Top, Top 40 rate. Great. Right. So. And he's we'll hard see. to predict. Where was it? So 
I wanted to play him at the Sony. My I had a good lineup that week. I actually think I did. So I think I put him in at the Sony, and he was the one of the worst players in the field. Then he goes straight to my bench, and I'm thinking he's the first guy I drop, and he plays awesome at the Amex. Yeah, yep. He's a putter, and that's the thing. Like the putting, that's what makes him volatile, right? He's not necessarily going to be striking all the time. I really think that as we start to figure out this season-long fantasy golf thing, um, the amount of starts that a player is willing to get is going to prove vastly important for instance like i was talking to my buddy scott uh, blumstein who's in the league and he has taylor montgomery and i'm like i almost would consider trading just about anybody for taylor montgomery right now because he's gonna start 33 times and he's gonna get you 85 points in every single week so what's the difference almost if i have and i'm not gonna do this but if i have xander who's gonna get me 95 points right he's going to average maybe eight to ten points higher on average for the season than montgomery but he's going to start 12 less times yes like i'd rather montgomery's not going to miss cuts he's going to play in absolutely everything i think when we look back at this at the end of the season like he very well could be the highest scoring player in the league that's an absolute matter of fact and i think the 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 conundrum in this situation because this is exactly what i was doing High floor, high start rate guys is what yeah. Russell Knox is, what Christian Bezade is, what Taylor Montgomery is. But then if those guys get you to the promised lands of the playoffs and you're playing at the FedEx St. Jude, now you got a Russell Knox in your lineup, right? <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? So that's where you play for all the marbles. You're getting there, but you don't you don't have the best marbles. So it's a it's something I'm kind of grappling with because do you want to try and get good guys to get there or do you want to take it risky so that if you do land up there, you've got the team that's going to take you to the promised land. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, and you're struggling on majors, but the good news is, is like majors are just another week. Yeah. It's another Um, week. So if you lose all four majors, it's four losses. It's it's the, you know, 30 game season. Um, Any other one before we get out of the odds boards here that has sort of got your, your eyeball on in the long shot range that you want to touch on. Scroll a little bit there. So we see Goldilocks slash Aaron Badley. There we go. 210 to one. Just there. Um, 210 to one. Stroh's gain total for the 2023 season since he's been playing. He's 13th in the field. And he's sitting at 210 to one. If you go to Data Golf and you check out his course history at this venue when he was playing better like 10 years ago, guy was actually playing not too shabby around Pebble. His game suits hmm. this kind of thing. He's got a really tidy short game. He's not the longest off the tee, but... He's just been playing good golf, and he's he's one of those guys that I think his heat map versus his baseline must be just piping hot right now because he's he's I think according to Mark Immelman he's kind of now lining up more right and pulling it, and that's what he's comfortable with. Hmm. So now he's he's made peace with the bad mechanics of his golf swing that's just being put into a repeated practice. And I mean, he's if you take a look at what he's been up to lately, had a few top tens at the Bermuda, which is a very similar course. And yeah. when wind and stuff gets glowing, uh, blowing, going and blowing, it's uh, he starts glowing, I guess. So that's kind of what I'm liking about Aaron Badley this week. And 210 to one, dude. I mean, that's a sprinkle. And I, I could make a thousand dollars off a five dollar bet this week off Aaron yeah. Badley. You know, like that's the kind of thing that you're looking for, yeah. And he's very easy come, easy go. He is an Australian, which I'm not the biggest fan of, but you know, you can't you can't have it all. Yeah. Um. 
Okay, that's enough of the odds board. I'm going to put out some long shots tomorrow. Um, I'm going to put out my, if you were in the Tour Junkies, uh, Nut Hut. Dude, are you in there? Oh, not yet. But okay. I think typically Byron. after every podcast. $2 I, a uh, week. And your boy is on fuego. Um, I'm now 16-3 and three in matchups on the season crushing top 40s if you're if you're a units guy which i'm normally not it's up like 19 units uh i've won at least like four units every single week uh just been slaying in there buddy i got oh, some, yes dude i got some good uh i got some good intel on matchups when i was out in las vegas that i've been kind of really put into use and really kind of trying to attack those markets a little bit more there's some things that you just have to view and, and a lot of times like honestly i will reference um, and this may not make a whole lot of sense, but I'll use it to ask myself questions. For instance, last week, um, Colin Morikawa versus Justin Thomas. Colin Morikawa was an underdog, I believe, plus 117 against Justin Thomas in a head-to-head matchup. We look at the DraftKings pricing, right? And Colin Morikawa is $600 more expensive than Justin Thomas last week. And you can start to just like, it's not always this means something, but it makes you think about it a little bit more and you start to dive in. So um, I've really been kind of putting a little bit more work into that. So um, if anyone's out there, um, hit me up if you want to get uh, into the into the nut hut guys over there. But Absolutely. here's what I wanted to ask you about. I put the tweet out a little bit earlier, an hour ago. Man, dude, how do you get yourself? And I was really inspired by what you did in sort of uh, biking across like Iowa before. Like that's, I need a goal like that, man. I need something to strive for. And it's, it's harder and harder. Like I'll, I'll be, I'll be good. And I'll be on a regimen for three or four weeks to really get fit. I'll get in shape. I'll start feeling better. My attitude will be better with my family. I'll be more at ease and something happens. Like it can be anything. It can be just life hits you in the face. It can be, you get sick for a week and it's really hard right now for me to jump back on that. And I think people kind of underestimate how much time and effort and heart that we put into doing golf content. So between doing this three nights a week, studying the tournament, trying to be a good husband, trying to be a good father to two, a five and a two-year-old, trying to be good at my my day job. Doing all this stuff has just really been overwhelming and, and stressful for me the past couple of weeks. And I don't know if you have any advice to sort of get me back in a good mental state because I know we're both very b- big proponents of, of mental health. Absolutely, dude. And thank you for asking that question and letting me share a little bit of this because also I can't say that what I do is golden because i'm sitting here in a shirt that's way too small for me but i'm going to be doing a burr ride which is the first saturday of every february and it's going to be in whatever temperature we have so i love my bicycle and if you can see right over there there she sits yeah and i know that that's the easiest on my body i can get my heart pumping and it's right behind my desk i got a tv right over here that i can watch while i'm i'm working out i don't have to climb in my car and brave the cold to go and do the bike I jump on you and I promise myself 30 minutes every day. So is it a Peloton? It's my actual bicycle that I've plugged into a a Peloton type vibe. So it's basically essentially a stationary bike. And I have my phone on there and I can see my heart rate and I'm like an analytics guy. So I can see. And today I noticed that my my stuff wasn't okay. So I stopped my my workout after half an hour. But I got on the bike and did it. It's easy. It's right over here. It's one of my favorite things to do. And... I think a lot of people try and go to the gym or 
um, get into a really big workout vibe, which is sometimes unsustainable because I've done that myself and I, I'm, I'm still not in perfect shape, but just finding something that you can do quickly, easily get it done, make yourself feel good about it. And just remind yourself that it's actually that much easier to just do it. You know, I think a lot of the time you get that mental block where you oh, I have to get in the car, I have to change, I have to make mm -hmm. it easy for yourself. Give yourself a very small goal to kind of just pedal for 30 minutes, no matter how hard you go, you know, just get it done. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's like, for me, it's a lot about like struggling right now. And I try to, and you know, like I try to use the end of the show to be open and be honest and like be genuine to the people that I struggle with shit. And like right now it's sort of finding a balance and taking on some new responsibilities. Um, at my day job, January, February is the busiest time of the year for us. Um, I've picked up some new responsibilities over there with the tour junkie guys, and I'm appreciative of that, but it's, it's adding stuff to my plate. Um, my kids are starting to do, you know, when they start to get to age five, like my son's in basketball and I don't want to, I don't want to ever be the dad that misses practice. I don't want to be the dad that misses the game. I'm trying to, it's important. And I've always, my wife knows this for me to be competitive in something. And I try to do that in, in golf. Right. So I try to play once a week and she's unbelievably awesome for allowing me to do that. But like I've been struggling there, too. So I just I feel like I'm trying to do too much and I'm not doing any of it well enough to really get anything out of it for myself and to feel really good about it, which is a point that, you know, I'm struggling with. And I know that you don't I'm not expecting you to give me an answer. I'm just trying to share it with you and share it with the people watching this show so that it's helpful for me to talk about this stuff, Byron. And if anyone out there is going through something similar, like reach out to me, like send me a DM. They're open. I'm happy to sort of talk to you about it and we can bitch about our struggles. And I think it's therapeutic um, for all of us. But one thing I wanted to share in golf that I've been trying to do, and I've been sharing some of the range sessions and I know I'm kind of rambling here, but I found it better for me and more therapeutic recently to just go practice and to work on simple things like videoing my swing and how I look versus always just going out there and playing and leaving frustrated or disappointed. Um, and I think that if I take that approach and apply it into more aspects and stop focusing so much on the result and stop focusing so much on um, did I win or did I lose and just start focusing more on the process and getting a little bit better at it and stop caring about the result and stop caring what other people think. Um, I think that's something that I can really put into action that could potentially help me. Dude, you nailed it there because what can you control? You can control where your club goes on a, on a takeaway if you practice it enough. You can't control where your golf ball goes or how it bounces, but you can control what you see on the video. You can, you know, just do the little things and take control of them that you can. And I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. And another thing is being comfortable with those insecurities is a major thing. You know, I know we all try and act big and tough out here. And social media as well. I try and unplug from Twitter as much as I can when I can, but it's kind of like our lifeblood on there. But being sensitive to yourself and your needs and just dealing with those as a human, it's okay. You know, it's okay to be not okay. There's that hashtag, but take control of what you can and and know that it's fine to struggle. So as long yeah. as you have an action plan and, and 
go through with it. And we talked about this before the show is, is part of being a quote unquote content creator in golf is, you know, I feel like I'm glued to Twitter a lot and you feel like it's part of the job. And we talked about, I said to you right before it's, it's interesting. It's not like my other job. This is when you just, you don't clock out at, at, at four 30 or five o'clock and table it until 9am tomorrow. You feel this pressure inherently to always be on top of it. And what happens if, you know, Rick tweets something about news that I need to know or PGA tour comms and some guy withdraws and you feel this inherent pressure to always be attached to it and always be available because that's how you grow. And ultimately the goal for myself and I'm sure you is to one day leave this other job and to do this full time and to make this passion into a career and something that I can support my two kids that are upstairs asleep with. Um, and you feel like if you don't do those things that it requires, you're not going to get there. And, you know, I've sort of hit this plateau right now in terms of followers and podcast growth that I'm, I, it's growing, but it's not at the same rate that it was. And I'm trying to just break down this wall and I'm trying to enhance some of the graphic stuff that I do on Twitter, but I'm putting more and more work into it. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, it becomes frustrating to not always see that result and you feel like you're glued to it all the time. So it's just one of those things that I'm sure is just something that we're going to get through inherently and naturally. But I think it just takes time and commitment to the process, but also realizing the importance of unplugging a little bit and taking time to enjoy the fruits of life and um, this this giant star that we're floating around on and re realize to just like breathe and enjoy the moments. And it's hard. Oh, dude. And but. I think you you understand it. You get it, right? Like that's the I thing understand it, but it's still it's still <laughs> difficult, you know. Yeah, it is. And just one more thing is just to enjoy the process and and good things come and sometimes it takes a little bit of time, right? And just there's like a lag of of a tidal wave and then eventually it's just going to crash down and all these beautiful fish are going to be floating around there for you to just mow down on. So I just encourage you to keep going. And then reflect, you know, you know your deal. So you know your weaknesses and strengths and and um, roll with it, man. I think you're going to be just fine. And if there's other people listening to it too, I think you're going to be just fine. Just back yourself and figure it out. You got it. Good stuff, dude. I always appreciate a good chat with you and thankful for anyone who uh, stayed along for this. Really appreciate you guys. If you could give it a like and a subscribe on the way out, that would mean the world to me. Byron at the Model Maniac, you are a fantastic guest once again. I hope that you win that award. You're extremely deserving and keep up the great work and, and tell everyone where they can get some more of your content this week. Absolutely. At the Model Maniac is where you can, that's the hub for all my stuff. I have a podcast called Back Nine Bits, which I do Mondays and Tuesdays. And I do a bunch of writing for rotoballer.com, which is where I managed to have a little lucky breakthrough for the Fantasy Sports Writer of the Year nominee. So, you know, it's just it's just a lucky situation to be in, and I, I'm thankful to be on the show with you today, Joe. Thank you. Amazing stuff. Good luck at Pebble this week, guys. We'll talk next week. See you.